Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to the Open Banking Expo Unplugged podcast. I'm your host as always. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Editorial and Broadcast at Open Banking Expo. Today I'm joined by three guests for this episode to talk all about the importance of trust in Canada's hybrid open banking ecosystem and we'll definitely go on to talk a bit more about that word hybrid uh, shortly but first let me introduce my three guests uh, we have Saba Sharif who is head of new product development and corporate strategy at Simcore also with me is Sarah Gowdy VP of client engagement and innovation at Tangerine Bank and Faye Pang who is the country manager Canada at Zero. so welcome to the podcast all three of you thank you for having us thank you Thanks, Sally. Great to be here. Well, let's crack on and talk, as I say, about trust in Canada's open banking framework, delving into to some of the kind of key measures and, and standards that are required to create that kind of trust framework in open banking. So, Saba, perhaps you can kick, kick us off. Why is trust so critical for open banking's success in Canada? Yeah, Ellie, thank you so much. And I think I, I've I love the word trust. I feel like sometimes it's thrown around a little too loosely, but it is it is critical and core. When you when you think of open banking, there's really three premises. You know, the first that consumers are in control of who they share their data with and how they share uh, with them. I think the second premise on open banking is just related to a more secure method of data sharing, so moving away from screen scraping. And and the last key premise is is around innovation. Without a trusted system and a trusted framework, I don't think we'll achieve any of those goals. So in Canada, there's already over 4 million Canadians who are sharing their data through um, less than ideal methods, which includes screen scraping. And if you cannot um, enable and engender trust, we risk inertia. We risk those 4 million Canadians staying in the status quo and not getting at any of those premises, not getting at the consumer right um, and consumer ability to control who they share their data with not getting to innovation uh, and improved customer experiences, which is so critical. The ability to achieve those innovative services, I think, is is really um, centered around ensuring that trust is there. And so I think it's a, it's an imperative because without it, we are, we are several uh, years further behind than other jurisdictions, and this number is just going to continue to grow. So the, the hill that we have to climb will simply increase, and the need to be able to transition to, into a more trusted system will just become more and more imperative. So I, I think that's why why trust is so critical to open banking success. Thanks, Saba. And Sarah, I mean, you're coming at it from from the perspective of, of a bank. So why is it it's so important um, that this trust imperative? Thanks, Ellie. And I, I'll start with agreeing with most and everything that Saba has already said. But from a bank perspective, trust is essentially the currency that banks simply cannot exist without. Um, at a most basic level, our customers expect them to keep in the past their money safe. But now when we move to open banking and over the number of years, that's really evolved to keeping their information safe and making sure that we're looking after their best interest. And for that reason, really maintaining customer trust for banks is really at the center of innovation and not just for banks, but for all of us. That's how we'll deliver value and that's how we'll continue to build on that trust to allow our customers to to evolve to that next level of banking. 
Great. Uh, and and Faye, then, obviously, again, you're coming at it from another perspective, perhaps the kind of small business lens. What does trust mean to, to SMBs in Canada? Yeah, so, um, you know, Zero being a small business counting platform based in the cloud, we're really focused, as you mentioned, Ellie, on the small business perspective. I think from their perspective, trust is incredibly important, right? We know from other jurisdictions that SMEs actually see an outsized benefit from open banking. So we're really excited to see it adopted here in Canada. We talk about trust. Uh, one of the things I think about is uh, Zero recently completed something called the One Step Report, which is all around what are the barriers to tech adoption for small businesses. And what the report showed us is that SMEs are already quite reticent to adopt new technologies, right? They face analysis paralysis and not knowing what the best solution is for them. So having a strong sense of trust in an open banking system, and more importantly, the experience that they have as they log on for the first time, that's just going to ensure faster and more long-lasting adoption. So uh, my next question to you, the three of you really, is that you, you've all got these kind of unique lenses as we've discovered. So what would what would you like to see, Sarah, in Canada's open banking system to safeguard consumer trust? I think before saying what we want to see, I think it's important to maybe level set of what Canada has been doing over the last number of months and over the last year to bring, come together. And so the government has hosted a number of roundtable sessions on four main topics of liability, security, accreditation, and privacy. And, and these roundtables have included industry members from all facets, including both the federal and the provincial government, which is important in Canada for our, our country, fintechs, technology par partners that deal with data exchange, credit unions and banks. And so it's a very diverse perspective that has has come together. And what has been positive, Ellie, is the amount of support to move ba open banking forward and the drive and the need that customers are at the center and that this is important for customers to find a better way to exchange data, as well as there's an overwhelmingly amount of agreement on many of the top issues, which really puts us in a place that we're at a place that is all on the same side and a foundation to build off of. The two things for me that I think we do need to move forward um, to help us um, in the next steps is clear understanding of liability and having that liability within the regulations so that it's understood that liability follows the data and that if something was to go wrong, it is the customer um, that has or the entity that has received that liability um, who needs to be held responsible and accountable for the safety and protection of the customer and how they're moving forward. The second piece is on accreditation. And what does this look like? Because in an open banking system, it does make you do need to have a way that who are the entities that will receive access to this data? How are they governed to look at in terms of an NSS to look at how they can be part of the ecosystem? And uh, what security protocols do they have at the base level of the floor so that we all feel confident of sharing this data collectively together? So those are the two areas that I'd, I'd like to see move forward on in terms of the liability and the accreditation from a next steps perspective. Yeah, both really important areas, of course. And, and Saba, did you want to, to add to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree as well with Sarah. I think the liability one is absolutely key. Without that, and, and perhaps in addition, uh, a disputes framework, you end up with a customer trying to navigate different entities and figure out, you know, who's who's accountable for what and what they should do. And that's that's just not something. It's back to how do we enable trust in the ecosystem. Perhaps in addition to the ones that Sarah mentioned, I, I think commonality is very important. So levels of standards for, for consumer experience, as an example, certainly security and how the methods of, of sharing the data are, are key. In other jurisdictions, we've seen significant drop-off when different consent experiences, as an example, were applied across the customer journey. Why am I sharing my data one way uh, through this app and in a different way through this app when sometimes I'm sharing across multiple banking relationships? So consumer experience and ensuring that there is a clear guideline around that. The question perhaps is who should come up with those guidelines and standards and who's best suited to, but I don't think anyone would disagree that the need for them is, is certainly key. Yeah, absolutely. Commonality there was was the word that that really kind of stuck out. And, and Faye, as Sabah mentioned there, that consistent experience is is really important, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'd like to build on that actually because I think um, I think Sabah nailed it. One of the things that we would really want to see within the framework in order to safeguard consumer trust is that notion of a consistent experience. So if you think about status quo today, right, screens grouping. Open banking has such a huge promise and potential of being more reliable, more real-time, and ultimately more seamless. I think if you look at some other jurisdictions, you know, we've heard some horror stories of 17 screens just to take, you know, to get consent, right? And like not heroing the consumer experience in that flow. And so if the experience doesn't live up to the promise, right, or the potential, then we're just going to disappoint users. And to Saba's earlier point around inertia, they're just going to go back to their old ways of doing things. So I do think it's really important for us to, in order to drive adoption, in order to build and retain trust, we have to have the consumer at the core. We got to think about the experience and we have to drive consistency in that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just something I wanted to come on to is, is the fact, and I mentioned it in my introduction, Canada's open banking model being referred to as, as hybrid. I think it's It'd be a great opportunity right now just to kind of break that down because it, it, it seems that kind of, you know, people interpret hybrid in slightly different ways. So, Faye, just starting with you, what when we're talking about a hybrid solution, uh, what do we mean? And, and is it sort of too open to interpretation, do you think? Yeah, I think this is I think this is an interesting question. All three of us might have different takes on on that word hybrid in this context. Um, so, so let me share mine, right? I think for zero, hybrid solution means both a universal open banking platform with right agreed to principles, baseline expectations when it comes to things like accreditation, governance, tech standards, service level agreements, but with that opportunity for continued bilateral agreements to address deeper and more complex use cases and, and deeper partnership opportunities. Right. So that that at a high level is what I would think hybrid would mean in this context. If you look at the UK, right, where Zero has over 350,000 subscribers with connected bank feeds last year in an open banking environment, we are still seeing the need for bilateral agreements as partners choose to build to Zero's bank feeds API for additional use cases. You know, really not just a data in partner, but we're also a data out partner, right, for many financial institutions around the world. And sometimes it's just not covered by that baseline open banking standards. So in my mind, a hybrid solution is a really good thing. It allows us to move those partnerships forward 
faster than we are today, right? Since we're not negotiating table stakes elements, but we're instead focusing on deeper issues and opportunities. Um, so that's how I, I would define hybrid in this context. Okay, great. And and let, Sarah, let's hear from you. What what does hybrid mean to you? Yeah, I'm going to take it as a different approach back to where Faye was um, talking on. And I agree with Faye's perspective, but I'm going to give it a bit of a slightly different perspective. To me, hybrid solutions actually provides a more efficient way that we can operationalize open banking in Canada to create a fair, transparent, and secure ecosystem. And what I really mean by that is we don't have to build it from scratch. There's a lot of partnerships. There's a lot of foundational elements within the Canadian ecosystem that we can build upon and leverage rather than just trying to start with brand new rules and brand new pieces. The government still plays, though, when we talk about hybrid, an important role when they're defining policy and principles, such as the liability aspect that we we mentioned um, before. But the industry, to Faye's point, also has an opportunity to come together and leverage some things that exist, such as FDX as a standard. Um, how do we not create another standard, but how do we leverage FDX as a standard? Or how do we partner with commercial entities that are already playing in this space to help operationalize and move things forward as we start to think about the rollout and the implementation? And so if we start from scratch or and don't do it as a hybrid approach, it would take us way longer and be way more complex. But if we think about hybrid, it allows us to bring the best of both worlds together. Okay, yeah, that's that's interesting. And and Sabra, is that is that a kind of definition that you largely agree with? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like the framing of the the role that the entities within that ecosystem should play. So uh, to build on Sarah's point regarding hybrid and, and the role that government could play, we have to also recognize that every jurisdiction is different. So in a UK regime where there weren't really technical standards and experiences, the OBAE had to play a significant role in establishing that. The call-out on FDX is really important. The industry has been working, something that uh, should be applicable across North America, where many of our uh, customers will have multiple relationships, will be across the U.S. and Canada. So if you can build on something that already exists in a framework that is relevant, that's important, as opposed to perhaps putting accountability into an area that will just you know slow us down or revisit. There are several POCs that are already underway. There are several experiences that have already been defined and being tested. Let's, um, to face earlier example of, let's go see if that has 17 consent screens or if it's got the right amount of (laughs) screens that we have that are necessary, while also making sure that there's clear language being leveraged in in communicating to a customer. Um, So 100% aligned with uh, with both the um, Bay and and Sarah's responses there. Well, hopefully that provides a bit more clarity as well for, for our listeners, but also helps, I think, when coming on to my next question to you, which is about the role that each of the ecosystems play in in Canada's open banking regime. So, Sarah, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Thanks, Ellie. I think, again, let's start always with the customer and the journey the customer is taking on. And so at a high level, the customer is meeting with a entity that needs their data, and we call those entities data receivers in our uh, perspective. They're seeing something in their life that that entity or that partner of theirs can make their life better by leveraging their financial data. And and that's where the journey really starts and the, where the consent happens. 
in the middle, there might be a way that connects the parties to and commercial entities to uh, connects the data receivers to the data providers. And the data providers are the the institutions that have the financial service or the the financial data that the customer um, needs to share. In most cases, those would be banks or credit unions. But I think it's important to note that data providers are anyone that has financial services. And it's important that customers have the optionality that if they have, say, a loan or a lending product or even a small little financial service with a small entity, that they have the optionality to port that data to other parties within this ecosystem and that it's ubiquitous and consistent across. From a data provider perspective, and that's where all start as the as a financial service. It's our role as a bank to ensure that we've authenticated the customer and we know that it is the customer who is signing in and asking to share. So it is the customer, we know who they are and they've come through our channel and we've authenticated them properly. The second piece that we'll do is we're going to authorize and get the customer to authorize which accounts they want to share from. And I think this is an important note that this is not a re-consent. It's not asking them how they want to use the data, but instead it's saying, okay, you said you want to share data with this third party. Great. But do you want to share from every single account or is it just your small business data from your small business accounts or is it your personal accounts? And giving the customer that control and optionality to pick which accounts they'll be sharing from. And then the last important piece that a data provider needs to do is also give the customer the ability and the control to manage. And so that at any time, if they want to revoke consent or choose not to be able to authorize the account anymore, they have that at their fingertips and they understand that they have the control to do so because it's their choice and their data to share. Okay, thank you, Sarah. That was a really comprehensive view there. And, and Faye, you know, Sarah Sarah mentioned that it might be small business data there. This is something I know you can talk on quite a bit. So, yeah, if you can expand on, on that and, and where you see the, the roles being played by the, the ecosystem participants. Yeah, I think Sarah did a beautiful job of outlining um, all the different roles in the ecosystem. So I'm, I'm struggling to add in, but I, and maybe I'll add the small business perspective, which is, you know, you talk, she talked about data portability and being able to have the various systems and tools that you use, you know, really talk to one another and integrate seamlessly with one another. Uh, if I were to cite a stat we know from uh, research we've done in the UK, the average UK small business is, is leveraging 7 to 11 different tools, apps, subscriptions in their toolkit just to run their business, right? Everything from their bank account to payroll to, you know, their accounting software. And so I, I think that competition is actually really good in that context and being able to have all of those players play really nicely together in, a, in an ecosystem. So in addition to the roles that Sarah mentioned from a small business perspective, thinking about how that data portability is base case, table stakes, and that it's really easy for a small business customer to integrate the various tools that they want to use and that they have a lot of options when it comes to choosing those tools. Well, that's interesting. And, and Saba, just coming to you lastly on, on this. Yeah, so no, I'm going to struggle to build on uh, the two beautiful answers that were just provided. But uh, I will I will try. The And Sarah actually touched on this. I'll, I'll, I'll say it from a simple perspective, what we're seeing in, in 
the Canadian market, but also based on extensive research that we've done where open banking has already been implemented or is looking to be implemented in other jurisdictions. And she touched on the roles that perhaps an organization like a Syncor could play, this role of you know, platform providers who can assist to accelerate open banking and ensure that those consistent experiences are in place. And that is really intended to be an accelerant. The efficiency of being able to connect through those that can help those connections happen, monitor them on a consistent basis, at, you know, step in perhaps when issues arise, uh, we think is is very valuable in the Canadian context, given the situation where you have really five to six large banks where a significant number of customer accounts are currently concentrated. So to be able to assist and maybe mitigate against the many-to-many connections, we feel is, is an opportunity in the Canadian market that is perhaps unique. It wouldn't necessarily work in all jurisdictions, likely wouldn't work in in the same fa- fashion or format in uh, in 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 the U.S. as an example, but it is something that we're seeing certain value uh, in Canada. And then it comes back to me just to add is I, I'll, I'll double down a little bit on the government role because we've all touched on it, and this is so critical given the uniqueness of Canada and how how the government with a a principles based regulation approach that I believe can really support the acceleration of open banking in Canada. The rules based one, and there are many regulators in Canada are relooking at how they move from rules-based to principles-based regulation. I think that's a, a, a key and critical component for the government should look to in uh, leverage uh, specifically for open banking as well. Uh, well, uh, Sam, I'm going to stick with you for my next question. We're going to turn to how can trust be integrated into the customer experience? I think you have some some research on this, right? Yeah, actually, we recently uh, conducted a survey with EY. And EY has been running this survey for the last three years. This year, we we partnered with them. And this was on uh, data sharing preferences across both uh, consumers as well as small and, and medium businesses. And we're really asking, you know, what are your your drivers or what needs to be true in order for you to be comfortable with sharing your data with third parties, which is so important for open banking. And interestingly, it was focused on on Canadians. We surveyed both, um, again, uh, retail consumers as well as SMBs. What are their decision drivers and what are their value perceptions? And over the last three years, pretty consistently, there's been very little change in this stat over the last three years. Everyone outside of the 18 to 24-year-old cohort cited security as the most important consideration when they decide to share their data with a third party. Uh, cons- you know, consumers already have significant, significant amount of trust with their existing financial institutions, and we've seen that time over time. But the consumers are telling us exactly what they need. They need to be comfortable that this is a secure method of of sharing their data in any data sharing ecosystem. And again, except perhaps for those 18 to 24 year olds, but they'll they'll figure that out over time as they get more money. <laughs> so that's that's coming. Uh, so I think I think that's that's so important is just knowing what those decision drivers are. All that being said, I've shared that four million Canadians have already made certain decisions to share their data. And I think the consumer education to overcome the transition from how it is being done today to the future will be very important. I do believe that this is a role that certainly industry can play, but I think government uh, could be very impactful uh, given their reach across Canada, whereas you know someone like us would not have that capability. I do believe this is a role that they can play to, let's say, extol the virtues of, of API-based sharing and the security that that, that brings with without making it super complex and maybe not using words like API because no consumers can really understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting findings there as well. Thanks for sharing some of those with us. And and Faye, 
just coming to you next about obviously in, in your case it's it's all about the the small business experience isn't it so how can you expand on that about you know how trust can be can be integrated into to the way that SMBs experience the sort of open banking journey yeah somehow not surprising that 18 to 24 four-year-olds don't care about their security but uh, uh, yeah I think from a small business perspective and and sometimes you know as we work on open banking and think about the future. I think it's sometimes easy to get into our own echo chamber of like, what's the utopian outcome and what's the sort of perfect way to mitigate all risk? I think it's also important to look back on what's happening today, right? So as Saba mentioned, screen scraping is prevalent in the market today. What I can tell you from Zero's perspective is for Canadian small businesses, over half of them are connected to an accountant or bookkeeper. And the way that that's actually playing out today is actually quite fraught with risk, right? Because they're trying to update bank data into zero, which is what powers, you know, any accounting platform. And it's, you know, not working beautifully today, right? There's a lot of angst around how they have to get around screen scraping, how they have to leverage those systems. And, you know, what I'll share with you will make your skin crawl, but it's like, I've actually seen pictures from accountants and bookkeepers saying, here are all the passcodes for my top clients because... They are so sick of having to deal with you know, the logins and the, the the pain that's around that. So I share that with you about this is happening today, right? Um, and uh, while it's really important to think about how we build trust in, in the future, I do think we need to be really mindful of like how we get out of the, of the risk that we're actually incurring today as a system, as an ecosystem, because we don't have an elegant fit-for-purpose solution in the market. Well, that's quite shocking, but... Yeah, I mean, really just hammer time that point about why this is so important. Sarah, do, do you want to, to add to that? Yeah, there's there's not, again, our, my colleagues have shared a lot of the same things I was going to touch on. I think the only add I would say, from Sava's perspective, education is really, really important when we're starting to talk about the, the experience and the rollout of open banking. And so our research has also shown that when we ask customers about open banking, they step back and say, what do you mean my banking would become open? What do you mean by open as we move forward? And we we recognize that there will have to be education there that says as, that, no, you will be at the center of control of who you want to share this data with. It's not going to be open to every single entity in Canada. Um, in fact, there will be an accreditation process that uh, ensures that only secure and authorized entities and partners will be part of the ecosystem to move forward and that you would be center at the control. I think at the end of the day, the other thing we need to think about is Back to safety and soundness. Trust start. Trust start um, starts with what customers expect from us, and that are we delivering on that trust? And so, as we roll out for open banking, I think we are not delivering on the trust right now of customers that are saying, "I do want to share my data. I do want to have better experiences." We're not delivering on the ability for them to do it, and open banking or whatever it will be may be called in the future of how we want to say it, allows us to give customers that experience in a safer and essentially a less frictionless friction um, way to move forward. Okay, so some more work to do there. And uh, Sarah, just staying with you for my, my last question, which is sort of kind of the small business access to online banking. What do entitlement models 
uh, look like in an open banking regime? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And Faith already touched on it. Uh, at the end of the day, open banking and data um, sharing is easy when it's a one-to-one relationship, meaning that it's a sole customer. So it's Sarah sharing her data with Zero, and I've given that consent. It does become more complex where, for the small business, as an example in phase point, where the bookkeeper may be helping or the accountant is helping the business and the business owner in some regard. And so if the business owner has given the access to the bookkeeper to for financial services and given them an entitlement that they can log in, hopefully not through giving their login numbers and details, but has given them an access through their bank with their own card and their own um, entitlements of what they have access to. That's fantastic. But I do think we need to start thinking about, does that access mean that they've also given consent to share that data with other third parties? And what does the notification or that consent process go back to the business owner to say, do you, does that bookkeeper have the right to share data with anyone? And how do we ensure that at the end of the day, the business owner whose data is actually is, is providing that consent and has given that entitlement to their partner, um, their employee or their partner to move forward? It's complex. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit to that. W- would you agree there with um, Sapa with, with the points that Sarah's made? A hundred percent. And now I'm thinking of a solution, unfortunately, in my head. How do we, how do we fix this? (laughs) Uh, But I don't think there's, there's any easy one. It's actually a great point because if you think of the, the the central directories right now, they focus only on the accredited data receiver, data recipient to Sarah's earlier point, but an entitlements directory, one that recognizes who's allowed to do what at both the retail and and an SMB level. And uh, what my preferences are and, and all that, it is is a very complex solution. And we're just talking about the initial set of data sharing. We haven't gotten to payments yet, which gets even more and more sensitive. So this is a perhaps a great example where sandboxes can be leveraged to test the journeys and the experiences and make sure that we aren't making this super complex and we can we can support that. So I think this is a perhaps another area where where industry can come together to start to test these specific use cases. Without it, we aren't going to move in a way that is going to be consistent. And then this is going to get to the ultimate goal that I think all of us are, are very excited about. So I love the the question. It's a little bit off the wall in terms of entitlements because it's so it's so a little bit out there. But to Sarah's point, it's certainly a complex uh, solution to solve for. So I'm 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 very interested to see to hear Faye's perspective on this, given the SMB lens for zero. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing it up, Ellie. And it's you know one of the things that we've been saying throughout phase one of open banking and consultations is like, we're obviously very keen to get to the SMB use case because you know it does get markedly more complex, right? But we also see outsized benefit from other jurisdictions. And it's precisely challenges like this around entitlements that I think we really need to, again, bring the customer to the core. What is the journey today? How are they actually you know engaging with their financial advisors, accountants, bookkeepers, team members, et cetera? And then how do we chart a course to adoption? And again, if we think about making it as turnkey seamless as possible, I love everything that Sarah said, because even just articulating that level of detail to a small business owner who has a thousand other things on their plate, 
well, what are you consenting to? And how do you revoke that consent? And what is a set of data that you're opening up? Like all of that is just going to be closed window, right? Because there's just so much else that they need to do. And so I think the challenge for us is like, we need to get there quickly. We've got to figure out, you know, the right framework and guardrails to, to enable that. And then we have to very quickly turn our attention to how are we going to communicate this to the average Canadian consumer in a way that they're going to understand, in a way that they're going to embrace and a way that's going to allow them to adopt the technology quickly, right? So that's that's how I think about that, which is like really great point, Ellie. Uh, really uh, complex situation, but one that I would implore us as an, an ecosystem and community to start to really think about quickly because it's it's where we're going to see a lot of the unlock with open banking. Great. Well, lots of food for thought there, actually, and and, and a good point I think to to round off this this podcast. So thank you, Bay, Sarah, and Saba for. For a great discussion today about trust in Canada's open banking regime, and I'll leave it there for now. But safe to say that um, Saba and Faye will be um, seeing you both at Open Banking Expo Canada in June. So, what to that? Likewise, thanks for having us, Ali. My thanks again there to Saba Sharif from Simcor, to Sarah Gaudi from Tangerine Bank, and to Faye Pang from Zero. As I mentioned. Both Faye and Saba will be speaking at Open Banking Expo Canada in Toronto on June 15th. So to find out more about that event, go to the events page on openbankingexpo.com. Until next time, goodbye for now.